0: Healthy Girl Kitchen. I am obsessed with Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's a vegan food blogger and and health coach. coach. I want to be her best friend. Invigorating conversations with leading experts. Danielle spends her days helping others improve their health. This is the Healthy Girl Podcast with your host, Danielle Keith. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. I hope you're all doing well today. Today, it's like rainy in Florida. I'm sad I didn't get to go on my morning walk and I was going to work out, but I was just so tired. So I did a little stretching instead. I think it's important to listen to your body and just do what you're feeling. So if you need a day to just take a break, take a rest day, don't beat yourself up. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give you the health tip of the day and the cooking tip of the day. To start off with the health tip, I want to talk all about healthy fats. I think sometimes in the plant-based movement and the plant-based world, people are scared of fats and that definitely shouldn't be the case. I know a lot of people who maybe are suffering from heart disease or diabetes, they're told to eat lower fat, but just if you're a normal, healthy person, healthy fats can definitely be a part of your daily diet. Eating healthy fats like olives, avocado, coconut, nut seeds, it's essential for balancing your blood sugar, providing energy, supporting cell growth, and balancing your hormones, and so much more. Even just adding like half an avocado to your salad, making a homemade pizza, and adding olives or putting some chia seeds in your morning smoothie, it's really that easy. And also, if you find yourself getting hungry, a really short period of time after you eat a meal like let's say you eat and then an hour later you're starving adding some healthy fats to your meal is going to help keep you full for longer that's a really good tip and that's something that i've been doing lately that's helped so much because i would eat let's say maybe rice beans and veggies and it would be filling for a little while and then i'd be starving Just adding some avocado or olives or seeds of some kind or nuts, it really helps to balance your blood sugar and you stay full for longer. So don't forget about your healthy fats. They're super important. Next, for the cooking tip of the day, if you didn't know, I make a smoothie every single day for breakfast. If you followed me on Instagram, I'm sure you know, because every day I post a picture of my beautiful smoothie and I get a lot of questions about how to make a creamy, perfect smoothie. And I realized a lot of you are using fresh fruit when you really need to be using frozen fruit. It truly makes all the difference. You can keep it in your freezer. You don't have to worry about it going bad. Costco sells frozen fruit in bulk. Trader Joe's has very reasonable prices for frozen fruit. And just to clarify, frozen fruit has the same amount of nutrients as fresh fruit because it's often picked at peak ripeness. When vegetables or fruit Are canned, that's when they lose their nutrients. When they're frozen, they still have all of their nutrients. So that's just something I wanted to clarify. Our guest today is Sari Diskin. You might know her from her popular Instagram page, Eat Well With Sari. She is a healthy food blogger and wellness lifestyle influencer. She provides so much value to this episode, and you are going to learn so much from her. If you're interested in the daily life of a content creator, want to learn how to start a food Instagram, or just want to catch up with Sari, you're in the right place. We also talk about managing brand partnerships, working from home tips, establishing a morning routine, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. Hi, Sari. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I, I think everyone, I was just telling you, everyone's going to be so excited that we're talking. And I wanted to also tell everyone how funny it is that I went to high school with your husband. It's just a small Jewish world. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so funny. And um, and yeah, how how's Chicago treating you?
1: It's good. I'm moving in a few weeks from here. And honestly, I'm a little bit... I'm. I'm feeling a lot more ready to leave than I thought I was Uh, a few months ago. I was like, I can't believe I'm leaving in a few months. I love it here so much. I love the community. I love the people. I love the food and like the workouts and I was just not ready to leave. But since all of this quarantine stuff happened, I just feel like I'm ready to be in a place where I have more space, more access to nature, closer to family. I feel really isolated right now here. Um, I've seen like a few friends on like socially distant walks, and I do walk around the city, but it does just feel a little bit depressing to be in what normally is such a bustling place. So quiet. So I'm ready to leave.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that's really strange. And it's not like you've been in Chicago for a while, right? It's been a year.
1: Yeah. We had like a one year stint here. Jacob did a one year residency here. So he's doing ophthalmology, which is eye surgery. And before you get into that residency, you need to do a general year um, of like just doctor residency. It's called transitional year. And so that was here in Chicago. And then we're going back to Detroit. For ophthalmology. So we always knew that we were gonna have one year in another city to kind of explore. And for a long time, actually, we thought Denver was gonna be that city. But I'm so happy that we switched our minds and ended up coming here.
0: Well, yeah, because Chicago's close to Michigan. So I'm sure it was easy to visit family if you needed to. Yeah,
1: it was. And it was a good central location to so many places that I traveled to. And it's it was just an approachable city where I I knew I would find a good community. And I did. So this year has been like amazing. And I'll always look back on it as one of the best years of my life. But I'm definitely looking forward to to leaving, given everything going on.
0: And you guys are moving into your first house together, which is really exciting.
1: It's so exciting. We got incredibly lucky with our house buying situation. We had been looking for houses in January and February. And part of us were like, The market is going to blow up in March and April and there'll be way more options, but we just started just so we can get used to it. And I'm a pretty eager person. So we were going to Michigan, like Jacob would have one day off and we would drive the night before, look at houses, drive back that day. We had an offer in on a few houses, decided to pull out. And then we saw this house, which is in Beverly Hills, Michigan. And it's like a completely renovated ranch. So ranch is like, everything's on one floor. And then the basement is the same size as, the top floor. So we have a huge, completely finished basement, which I'm pumped about. And we went and we saw it and we loved it. And we put an offer and it got accepted. And then we had to go through all the insane, crazy motions of purchasing a home through loans and all that mortgage stuff. I've like, never felt more adult in my life than going through all that, sh- that shit. So we're really excited. And we got really lucky because the day of closing was April 1st. It was always April 1st even though we put in our offer in February. So if we were just a few weeks later, we wouldn't have been able to probably buy a house right now because it's definitely a hard time to find something, see it and really know that you love it. So we're lucky.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's it's such a tough time right now, especially for people financially. And obviously, like it would be hard to work out when you could see a house in an open house. It's just so difficult right now. So what what date are you moving in?
1: The 23rd is our official leaving Chicago, but we're going in two weeks. um, We're going to go for a few days and get some stuff set up. So
0: we're moving in two parts. Are you so excited to decorate? I feel like that would just be the best part of having a house. It's not an apartment where you know it's temporary. It's like a home that you get to grow into and decorate and make it your own.
1: I'm thrilled i mean there's there's a few things we need to do that are really expensive so we and we do have a lot of furniture that we love we're gonna get only the essentials and then like accents and things to make it homey but we'll have to do all the decorating in phases just because costs are crazy and like we have to do landscaping and put in a privacy fence and get window treatments like all these things i never thought of
0: (laughs) so Yeah, that's the, that's the good part about having an apartment. You would never even think of those things and, and little things like maintenance, someone just coming to your apartment to fix your dishwasher. Like you have to do all that for yourself. So it's definitely a shift, but it's, that's really, really exciting.
1: I think it'll be worth it. I really love the house. It has like gold accents in the kitchen and all the knobs are gold in the bathroom and marble. It's very, my style. I'm really pumped.
0: Well, as a food blogger, I feel like you have to have a good kitchen, especially since you spend so much time there. You want a kitchen that you love.
1: Yeah, so it's a very open kitchen. I have way more storage in this kitchen than I do now. Like, No one can see, but in Jacob's closet, we only have the least amount of closet space here. It's like half my pantry, half his closet, and then I have like baskets above the fridge with stuff stuff in boxes behind the table. I just, like, don't have any room. (laughs) So the storage situation is going to be way better. And we have, like, a separate laundry room in the basement where I'm going to put another pantry and another fridge and freezer to store more food and things. So that is, like, honestly the most exciting part, that I'll be able to have, like, a a separate pantry.
0: (laughs) I know. We had to turn our, like, front hall closet into a pantry because especially, like, all, like, the random snacks that – I'm sent in the mail. I'm sure you have the same problem. Yeah, there comes a point where I just have no space for it. And I started bringing extra snacks to the people who work in my building. I'm like, I get sent all this stuff like, please, I have no space. And I mean, they love it. They have the best snacks downstairs now. But I I feel you on the storage.
1: I do that too. I also like, I'm down to sample new stuff if I know I'm gonna eat it. Like I'm not doing I'm not doing brands any favors anymore. Like if I if I if the product doesn't look appealing to me and I just don't think I would enjoy it, I just say no, thank you, I'm not interested. And now I'm saying like no to basically everybody for samples because I'm moving. And unless it's something I'm going to eat like right away and know I would need, I'm just saying no because I just don't have the space and I don't want to waste.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I-, I was actually just talking about this the other day with. Leah Goldglanz of Leah's Plate, we are talking about how it's so important to stay authentic to your brand and only collaborate with companies that you align with and and food that you'd actually eat. Because if you're posting a brand that people know you wouldn't eat in real life, I mean, everyone knows you're not hiding it.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really bad at hiding. Like, I don't do that. Because I think it would just be not only would it be obvious, but I would just have this weird guilt, like, I don't actually like it. And I just won't, I just can't do it. And even, even brands that like I like, and I think my audience likes, but I can't eat, for example, like a lot of the diet ice creams, I can't, I mean, I like regular ice cream better, I have to say, but some of like the halo top kind of brands really hurt my stomach because of some of the sugar alcohols that are used in there. And I just like I can't eat them. So like I'm not even though my audience can eat them, but I can't, I wouldn't share it. So it has to be like mostly around what I love and what I enjoy. Yeah,
0: I'm with you 100%. Even for me, like, it's a little bit harder to because I'm plant based. So a lot of companies and while it's flattering, they'll want to send me things with cheese in them or even like a meat product or a fish company that wants to partner. You know, you, you have to weigh your authenticity with the money because the money might sound exciting, but you have to look at the longevity of your brand and and remember that people love you for you and people follow me because I'm plant-based. If I'm posting something for the money, then that would hurt me in the long term.
1: I totally agree. I think that's, that's really important and that's definitely a good way to go for sure. Yeah,
0: for sure. So I want to go back To your beginning. I know we're kind of diving in deep right now, and obviously you're a food blogger, but you weren't always a food blogger, and that wasn't always your intended path. So I want to go back. You grew up in Toronto, right?
1: Yes, yes. So I grew up in Toronto. I went to college, the University of Western Ontario. I did media studies and writing. There, I always knew I wanted to do something media related, like work at a magazine or work at an ad agency or do something in the creative space. That was just always what I thought I was going to do. And when I graduated, I went to grad school in Toronto for business advertising and then got internships in a big ad agency in Toronto. And this was in 2013 that summer. And then from 2013 to 2016, when I moved to Michigan, I worked full time in account management at big ad agency. So I worked at Leo Burnett for most of that time and I learned so much. And I don't know how I would do what I do without the experience I had in the advertising world and just what I learned about communications and, and clients and, you know, the dialogue and all that kind of stuff and how this works. It was incredibly helpful. And I think back so much as to my time there and what I learned. And so I'm so happy for that experience for sure, especially with what I'm doing now professionally. When I moved to Michigan, my career brought me, I had to wait to get my green card and all that stuff, but my career brought me to a smaller agency with the most amazing people, but the worst client experience. So after about six months of being in a completely unusual situation at that agency, something that I think was very timely, like it was not normal at that agency, what was going on. And I have nothing bad to say about the people there. It was just the, the projects and the clients that I were on. It was just very weird for someone of my th- three years of experience at that point to be dealing with. And after like five, six months, I just thought this is not for me. And so I left hoping to get another job in advertising. I had nothing backed up. Like my dad told me you can quit a job once because you hate it. You can have like one get out a jail free card but in your career you you can't just quit with no plan so i took that one time (laughs) quit with no plan and i interviewed for months and i hated every single thing i interviewed with like it pained me to send emails like hey can we grab coffee to learn about this company you work at because i just like wasn't into it like my heart wasn't there and i was just so defeated by being in this new place without knowing who I was and being so uncomfortable. And that was really the height of when I started to get in touch with how bad my anxiety was, was really when I was outside of the comfort zone of my Toronto community and in this new place without a job. And it was hard, but it did lead me to eventually do the health coaching certification, IIN and start my blog. So I started it and it was called Eat Well Detroit at first, because I was kind of worried I didn't want to make it about me. And I was so embarrassed about it. And then a few months doing that, I was still looking for jobs. And then I got this freelance writing job. I got two freelance writing jobs sort of in the wellness space. And then I took a part time job at Athleta. I said to myself, "Hmm, I wonder if I can like while doing this certification and trying to grow my online brand, I wonder if I could make this into something. So I had worked out to give myself like a year to 18 months. And I had that luxury, which I'm very grateful for, to see what I could build. And in that time, I was able to build like my influencer business, and my health coaching business, and my content creation business on the side. And so much has changed since the, like that 18 months. Since it's been three years from now, so what I do now is I don't health coach anymore. I do mainly brand partnerships and content creation for brands. And now I have this course that I just launched. So things are ever evolving, but it all really started because I was going through a really tough time where I was basically put at rock bottom to decide, wow, I don't like what I'm doing and I wanna change that. So although it was a tough transition, it really brought me to where I am now. So that's the short of the long story. Yeah,
0: no, I love it. So I wanna rewind a little to when you started IIN sure. w- which is Institute for Integrative Nutrition that's also the certification program I did to become a health coach what motivated you in the first place to want to go through that
1: So I I was always into clean eating and healthy food and just doing what I can to feel my best and experimenting with recipes I wanted to learn more about that like I always said oh I sh-, you know I had a, I did media and writing in, in university but I should have done nutrition So I always had that desire. And I spoke to a few people who had done the program. And at the time, because I was sort of in this trial space of figuring out my life, I was in a little bit of a financial bind. But then they had this big sale and I ended up just going for it. And it was my brother, actually, who was like, you talk about this every day. Just do it. Like, just start. Like, you don't need to have any expectations from what's going to come of it. Just make that investment in yourself. And if you don't make a dollar from whatever you learn, that doesn't matter. It's all part of your journey and you should just go for it because I'm sick of you talking about it. So that's, that was the push for starting IIN. And I really enjoyed it.
0: You did. You liked it.
1: Yeah. I don't practically health coach anymore, uh, but I did for a while and I approached it pretty different than the way they taught it, but it definitely gave me a good confidence, a good understanding of how to work with people, a good understanding of different nutritional theories. I also really loved the community aspect of it. And it forced me to really dive deep into my own health journey and what I was experiencing and what I could do to make myself feel better. So it was a personal journey as much as it was a professional one.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I and a lot of people ask me if I like the experience there. And I think it is what you make of it. And uh, yeah, they teach you a 100 different dietary theories. It can be confusing. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. It's really just them trying to educate you. There are a lot of different opinions and perspectives, and nutrition isn't one size fits all. right. So I remind people that it's great. I think I loved it for the business aspect of it, too. and and, you know, obviously, I then turned it into doing my own thing, and i I put my unique spin on it. But they do teach you a lot of valuable business tips and how to work with people and how to talk to people. So if you are, looking to be a health coach, it is a great program. I have another question for you. So you go through IN, you start taking clients. What's that transition like? Because you're not health coaching anymore. How did you go from you coaching your clients to then being solely a food blogger? So
1: I just started to gain a lot more traction on social media, I started to grow pretty quickly and started to forge these relationships with brands long term for, you know, food photography and content creation and sponsorships, I was finding I was much more interested in that creative aspect and really loved experimenting with recipes and sharing those and taking pictures and being creative. And I just, that filled me up more than health coaching, to be honest. And I found it was just a better way to support myself. So I started, I was doing both for a long time. And then I just kind of did a little gut check and said, what do I actually enjoy more because I can't do both anymore. I was just reaching capacity and I chose like the brand side. That's not to say like I've had inquiries. I haven't really taken on a client in about a, eight months to a year. I had a few when I first moved here that I just, once they ended, I just stopped talking that i a health coach and I have gotten some inquiries in the meantime, but I haven't taken them. So it's just kind of how I feel in the moment and what I want to focus on.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Do you feel comfortable sharing what part of health coaching wasn't fulfilling for you and what part made you want to leave it?
1: Sure. So I loved and I focused a lot more on helping people have a better relationship with their mindset around food because that's something I really struggled with back a few years ago. So I really just like I was very specific about the client that I worked with and I wanted to make sure that It was all women that I could see myself in her because then I felt more comfortable helping and assisting her. But at the end of the day, I felt like it it started to get to be a little bit too much of a therapy thing for me. And that just was something that was outside of my comfort zone. And I didn't want to continue. And I wanted to create and do the brand side more.
0: I'm really happy that you touched on that because I think that is one thing that I have struggled with in the past, especially when I first started I never really gave deep enough thought that this would really be diving into people's emotional problems as well as helping them with their food. And in the beginning, I was leaving sessions with clients, taking their feelings and their problems home with me. And I'd go to sleep worrying about their problems. And I really had to learn to create that divide because you are in a way treating them with therapy too, because... It's not just, okay, go ahead, eat healthy, go exercise. It's so much more than that. And unpacking their feelings and their emotions, I was really taking it home at the end of the day. So I understand how that can be tough and heavy and really, really hard to deal with.
1: Yeah, for sure. And a lot of the girls I helped so much, I still think about them. And you know, a lot of them still follow me. And I've connected with them since and I know I helped them significantly. And I'm proud of that. But there were some moments where I felt I'm not qualified to do this. And that was really the breaking point for me. And I think that was the time when I was like, I could do health coaching, but I'm gonna have to switch up the way I'm doing it. And then at the same time, my brand kind of evolved and I wanted to focus on that. So if I do ever go back to health coaching, I just have to be very clear about what my limits are and I always was. Like, you know what, this is this is my personal opinion, but I think for any further, you know, diving in on X topic, you need to see this kind of professional. So, I think health coaches can be an incredible complement to other practitioners and that's why like I believe so wholeheartedly in like the holistic view of wellness, you know, with people like my husband who's a physician and someone like me and a therapist and things like that. It's really important to get multiple opinions because there are so many types of practitioners out there that can help people. And I think a lot of the time they're siloed. And so I hope to see a system where things are more integrated. And I know that just changed the topic completely,
0: but that's just what came to mind. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah, we can go in any direction, but these are all important things because the people who are going to listen to this podcast, a lot of people are interested in becoming a health coach because they see that, uh, you know, they want to help people. Oftentimes these people went on their own health journey and they are looking to help others do the same. So I think it's really important that you brought that to light and- you know, if you are a health coach or you are thinking about it, as Sari said, it's okay to tell your client, look, this is beyond my scope of practice. This is beyond what I know. It's okay to yeah. say that. You don't have to know everything. Like, you're not a doctor. You're simply there to help someone better themselves and live a healthier lifestyle. Right. And if it's anything beyond that, you should 100% feel comfortable to let them know.
1: Yeah, that's that's incredibly important.
0: For sure. So you started off as Eat Well Detroit you then shifted to Eat Well with Sari. Yeah. What was that decision like?
1: I didn't want to make it about me when I first started because I was incredibly embarrassed.
0: And Why are you embarrassed? I don't know.
1: I mean, it was 2017. And although I felt late to the party at that point, I really wasn't. But I just was like, who's going to care about this? Like, how am I going to share my life? Like, I just didn't want to make it about me. I was so nervous. Like, cause I didn't have a community. I had this community at home in Toronto where I was like, Oh, everyone's going to make fun of me for like trying to be a blogger. And then I didn't have a community so much in Michigan. So I really just felt alone and I thought this would be a great creative outlet, but not something that was going to share about myself. Cause I was just incredibly threatened by what other people thought. And once I got used to it and realized, wow, I'm good at this, and I love this, and this feels very natural to me, and my content was very much around me and my recipes and my life and not Detroit anymore, it was literally about Detroit for, like, two weeks. I felt I was being limited by that being in my name, so I changed it to Eat Well with Sari. But on some level, I always knew I was going to do that because my LLC has always been Eat Well with Sari, and my, um, like my website has always been eatwellwithsari.com, so... I'm happy that I had that foresight and kind of subconscious understanding that I knew I was going to change. But it was kind of like a little facade that I put on at the beginning because I was just self-conscious.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really smart business move that you noticed that your brand was growing and evolving and you decided to change the name to match that. And I I know recently I also changed my brand name. I started off just health coaching. I had no idea that I would become a food blogger as well. So I started off with Code Green Wellness. That was cute for my health coaching. But as time went on, and I started blogging more, and now I have this recipe blog, I knew that Code Green Wellness didn't really make sense. And it didn't really feel right with what I'm doing now. So I had to adjust. I knew I didn't want it to get any deeper, go any further. Because obviously, you know, if when I do become more popular, I I want people to identify with the name. Obviously, now, like if, I say like if Minimalist Baker wanted to change her name now, I think she'd be um, out of luck. Yeah. So at this point, when I still, you know, I have so much growth, I wanted to change the name to reflect what my brand is now. So I think that's smart that you did that. And if, if you're someone out there who created a business and your business has evolved, it's okay to adjust and pivot as you go along and adapt because your name is everything. That's your brand. That, that's how people identify you and and creating a name that reflects what your business is is really important. So I'm, I'm glad you shed light on that.
1: That's a great point. And that's a smart move on your end. So in this mentorship program that my friend Cameron, she's freckled foodie on Instagram have started. We just did our first week last week, we have four different groups. So it was a lot this week. Oh, wait, it was this week, not last week. Oh God, the days are starting to blend together. Anyways, the first thing we talked about was like how to set up your bio and your name and your handle to really speak to what your value is as a brand. And we talk in depth about a lot of these girls who are in our mentorship program, haven't started their Instagrams or they have one that they never post to, or they're just looking to expand it and learn the ropes. And so for the girls who are just starting and even the girls who had an account, we just were very clear, pick a name that you can see working with you in the long term.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I was going to ask you about your mentorship program. That is so exciting. Can you tell us a little bit more about it?
1: For sure. So it was honestly something I never thought that I would do. And I'm definitely the person that a lot of my friends in the space ask me questions about, like, how should I respond to this brand? What should I do in this situation? They asked me to do this. How much should I charge? And how did you do X? And I found myself always answering questions like that for my friends. And then I also found myself getting a ton of DMs from people being like, I want to start something or I just started. How do I get traction? Like, how did you do this? And I was talking to my friend Cameron, who's, who I met through Instagram, who's a really good friend of mine. And she was saying, yeah, I get a ton of those questions too. So it honestly just took us having a personal conversation to realize there is a missing educational piece out there. There is not a course or a mentorship opportunity for people who want to be Food and wellness bloggers in a smaller sense and if there is it's not really run by people who are super approachable so us being the size that we are and how long how many years we are into this we're on a very similar page and we just felt that people turn to us and can ask us advice and why not turn that into a course and a way to help people and inspire people and make it into like a secondary small business so we really found that there was a missing hole and I have seen a ton of other courses come up too in this time because we understand that people are now entertaining their side passions now because they have the time and we just really wanted to help people when they were asking for it. So we simply listened to what our audience wanted and created something in response. So the mentorship aspect I think is also very unique because We're teaching on a Zoom call, and then we're letting people talk to us, ask us questions specifically about them, and really one-on-one connecting with them and mentoring them in this group setting, while also we have a Facebook group that people can talk and connect with each other in all of the four groups that we have, which is, there's about 65 people. So it's really creating this community that's interactive versus logging on and doing a course by yourself. So that was really another differentiator for us, which we thought was really unique. And I'm really excited to continue with it. I hope that after this first section that we can continue doing it for more people because even if it's only been one week, we've seen just an incredible amount of people inspired and excited and learning. So I'm really excited about it.
0: That's really awesome. So if you do another one, where can people sign up for that?
1: So you can go to freckledfoodie.com slash mentorship and get on the waitlist. We also made an Instagram at the micro mentorship where the link in the bio is you can join the waitlist or you can DM me and I'll tell you where to go. I hope we can do more because we had a lot of interest and we sold out in
0: like two days. That's amazing. That shows you that it was clearly needed and you know, there are so many people out there who they might be unhappy with their jobs. They want something else. they they might be interested in health, wellness, food cooking, and they want to create a food blog. But it is hard to know where to start, how to go about that, because it can seem intimidating. And as you said, you know, people might be embarrassed and they're worried about being made fun of by their friends and family. So I think that's awesome that you've created something to help people with that. Yeah, um, But I'd you. love to ask some questions right now about blogging and what you do on a day-to-day basis. So let's say someone wants to start a food Instagram like you, what's the first step?
1: Pick your name and create your bio in a way that is very clear of what type of value that you offer so really deciding what that's going to look like will, and it's it's a careful balance of not pigeonholing yourself and being specific enough that people are going to want to follow you and then the most important thing is create content that people want And that feels good to you. And that's another tricky balance because you need to love and enjoy everything that you're putting out there. But you also need to listen to your community and provide value. So those are the two things on a daily basis I try to do every single day.
0: And obviously, becoming successful and having a thriving food blog, Instagram account, you need to practice consistency. Yes. So and I think that's something you do really well. I wake up in the morning and there's your post. I know you know, every day, and maybe even twice a day, you're posting something. What would you recommend to someone starting out? How often should they be posting on their Instagram account?
1: So I would say like six days a week. I've been really busy lately, so I am posting most days. But taking a day off has been nice for me. <laughs> but I'd say six days a week posting, trying to do it around the same time every day so that people start to recognize and know when they expect things from you. And then posting on stories at least six times a day. Stories are very important and something I think a lot more people pay attention to. Like they might go back and check out your recipe on your feed or a cool picture you posted. But stories are really how people get to know you and how your voice can be echoed in a unique way. And that's why people stay. So they may come because you have a pretty feed. They might stop following you because they think they like your style and the way it looks. But they're going to stay when they get to know you and really feel like you have something valuable to say and that they connect with you. So being honest and open in yourself and your stories is very important.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something you do really well because even now just talking to you, I see your story, so I feel like I know you. And I think that's something that is not innate. That's something that's practiced, and you've practiced that consistency day in, day out, just sharing your day-to-day life with people. And through that, people feel like, They know you, they feel connected to you. I'm sure people recognize you in public and and they act like your friend because they see you every day and they recognize you from your stories and they know your personal story.
1: Totally, and that does happen to me and it makes me so happy when someone says hi because being on the other end of it, it can be very lonely So I love when people send me kind DMs or they ask me questions or they challenge me on something. I love the conversation and I love connecting with my audience in that way because that's the value I'm here to provide. I'm only sharing myself and what's working for me and what I love and what I don't and where I'm going and who I'm hanging out with and my perspective on life. There's only one me. So there's only one Eat Well with Sari. Although my content could look similar to other people, other food blogs, I am. And my individual voice and my unique perspective, there's only one. So remembering that is like a, a, go- a big confidence boost. So whenever I'm like annoyed or I don't feel like I have anything interesting to say, A, I just give myself grace and be like, you don't have to post much today if you don't feel like it.
0: But also remembering
1: that I am different than others and I can stand out and just believing that because I believe that what I have to say is just unique to me.
0: Definitely. And I think that's really important for the person who is starting an account there's so many food bloggers that it only helps you if you stay true to yourself and and you're unique and different because you bring something to the table. I'm bringing something else to the yeah. table. Your friend Cameron is bringing something else to the table. So if you are new, while it is great to get inspiration from someone else on Instagram stay in your own lane, be true to yourself and post your own unique content because that's what's going to set you apart from the thousands of others out there.
1: Totally. And I think staying in my own lane is something I, that's sort of like my, my everyday mantra because it can be really hard to, because everybody's success on something like social media and influencer marketing and things like that, everybody's success is public. People can see who your partners are. People can see what you're sharing it's very out there. So it's really hard to not get competitive. And I have found that staying in my own lane and just be like, I'm doing this and I want to, and I'm not going to get obsessed with what everyone else is doing is the best way to go. It's the best way to protect your mental health in this space. And it's the best way to keep going and growing. You need to show that you are confident in what you're sharing and what you love. And if you're constantly obsessing with what everyone else is doing, that's going to be very cloudy. I've had my moments where I'm Feeling anxious and stressed about being behind and not doing X and seeing what everyone else is doing. But working through that is something that is the most helpful. So
0: I totally agree with you. And especially because. I love supporting other food bloggers. You know, we see, we comment on each other's pictures. We're lifting each other up. But along with that, you see all of their stories, all of their posts, and it can be so easy to fall into that trap of comparing yourself and thinking, oh my God, am I doing enough? You know, they're doing this, they're doing that. I need to be doing more. But you need to take a step back and remember that your only competition is yourself at the end of the day. And again, to really stay in your own lane.
1: Just to echo one more thing in that, a lot of things in this business can be taken very personally, but you need to remember that sometimes they're not. So making a mistake or doing so, like you need to see yourself as a business and also a person and finding that balance and learning to sort of step back from the personal side sometimes has also really saved me.
0: Definitely. So obviously connecting with everyone is super important. Being on your story, posting consistently, staying true to yourself, being unique, but Obviously, having an aesthetically pleasing feed is just a part of Instagram and creating your own unique look. Let's say someone has no clue how to take a picture, how to create something beautiful, but they create really amazing food and that's why they want to share. What would be your tips for creating a pretty feed?
1: Playing around with different styles. So I use Lightroom and I've created my own presets. For, like, food on white, food with plants in the background, food on lifestyle, me outside, like things like that that I normally post. And it just took a while for me to play around with edits. I watched a ton of YouTube videos about Lightroom and how to edit. And when it comes to food, natural light is the most important. So, A day, actually, like today, which is overcast, cloudy, with good natural light that's really going to highlight the colors and highlight all that kind of stuff is the most important. If it's super sunny, at least where I live right now, it's going to be blue. It's going to be way too shadowy. And some people go for that, like, golden hour vibe with their food. But for me, and just getting that crisp, colorful overhead shot, natural light is the number one thing for me. So, shooting in natural light and playing around with different editing apps. So Lightroom is one I love. Visco is really good. Quickshot is good for lifestyle. Um, I hear a lot of people use Snapseed, but I don't personally use Snapseed so much. But just playing around with that. And my food photos in particular are much better on my iPhone than on my, like, vlog or professional point-and-shoot camera. They just do not come out, like, the way that I like them. And for that overhead style that I usually have with, like, a white background my iPhone 11 Pro Max, which is like the highest level of iPhone is the best for that. So I think sometimes people think you need like these fancy cameras to get good food photos. But if you're good at iPhone photography, you do not. And there are some people who do go to the professional road and that's their style. And it looks incredible. But you don't need that.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great that you mentioned that because I think it might be intimidating where people might think oh my god I need all this expensive equipment to start this blog start this account but you can use your iPhone if you have a window if you have an iPhone you can start your Instagram account
1: yeah totally a lot of people are shocked that I use my iPhone I'm just like well I'm good at editing and my iPhone camera is really good
0: yeah and it's all in the editing too obviously you need the base of having good lighting but you can do so much with editing increase the brightness, sharpen it up, add some saturation, and you have a great photo. Totally. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit about brand partnerships because I think that's something you do really well. And I think you're someone who values a long-term partnership. So I want to go back. Do you remember who your first partnership was?
1: Yes. I think my first paid partnership was Lantana Hummus. I got $50 per post. And I posted once a month or twice a month, and that was it. That was my first – that's so funny. I don't even know where – I haven't seen them in a while in stores, but they have good hummus. Um, And I think I just reached out to them, or I reached out – I started to reach out to brands to do, like, trades just because I wanted to forge these relationships, and they were the first people to ask me how much I charged. And so I think I had like a thousand followers. I was like, oh, $50. And I was like, oh my God, $50 for like just eating hummus, like taking a picture. Wow. And now I'm like, I would never do anything for $50 to be honest. The landscape has changed so much in the last three years. So that was my first brand partnership.
0: That's so crazy. But you know what? Everyone starts somewhere.
1: Yes, you have to start there.
0: You and have I do. There's sometimes an unrealistic expectation that the second you make your Instagram, you know, people are racing to try to figure out how they're going to monetize, how they're going to make money. But it re- it takes a long time and it takes dedication and again, consistency and building up your account. So I wouldn't go in with the expectation that you're going to make money right away. You really have to work on growing your account. And once you put that passion into it, and if it's something you're truly loving, then the money will follow.
1: Yeah, I, ha- I have to agree. I think people do because they see so many other people doing it, but it takes a lot of energy to get there. And just like any other profession, you need to prove yourself first. So you need to show that you can create good content. You need to show your professional and that you're going to get co- like things in on time. You're going to show that you can uh, connect with your audience. All of those things are prerequisites to working with brands and getting paid for, for creating great content. And it, it doesn't happen overnight. You, just like any profession, as I said, you need to get there.
0: So what would be your advice to someone about going about brand partnerships?
1: So there's a few things to do. The first thing is take an inventory of what you use all the time and who you share a lot and what brands you would love to work with and reach out to them. And it starts with a DM like, hey, I love your brand. I think it's a really good fit for my audience. I'd love to discuss any partnership opportunities. What's the best email? And then take it off Instagram and bring it mega it professional, bring it on email, and discuss from there. Everyone should cr- have a media kit. You won't be able to work with a brand without it. It really is your resume. It's basically pictures, examples. I say no more than two pages. Your stats. So how many people view your stories? What's your engagement rate? Your growth, blog views, and then a list of your offerings. I don't put my prices on my media kit. I tell people not to because You never know who that's floating around to, and you don't want to prevent yourself from from potentially earning more. I used to have my prices in my media kit, and I had a brand reach out to me like a year later, like, hey, we have a budget. We'd love to work with you now. Like, good to go on this rate. And I was like, that was a year ago, and a lot has changed. So it's just good not to have your prices on, at least personally. In my opinion, I have that. And then just making sure you can clearly articulate your value in when you do talk to brands. Because you have so much to offer them with your community and being in the space where you have, where people trust you is really powerful. So doing, never losing that trust is incredibly important. And I think that's what, that's a huge value that you have to offer
0: to brands. Definitely. And I think. For some people, it can be really uncomfortable asking for money and speaking up for yourself, especially when brands might want to send you product instead of paying you. So can you talk a little bit about how you speak up for yourself and staying strong and setting those rates?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have have a few examples. So even brands that I love and share all the time, just generally, organically, because I use them so much, reach out to me asking me to create content for free. And there's a difference between I love your stuff and I share it all the time and you don't give me anything for it too. I'm now going to put work and time and energy into creating something, a recipe that you will then have to share on your page. And that is going to be an excellent picture that you can use on your newsletter, on your website, share to your own Instagram, provide value to your audience that I put in time and effort to create. So to the fact that I wouldn't get paid for that, or I would get $40 worth of product is just to me, Offensive Now, sometimes I do like gifted things where I allow people to give me things for my stories, but I don't do work without getting paid. And another good like, analogy to think of it is because this space hasn't always been like this. And some people are like, how could you think that we're going to pay you for this picture? Well, then you don't want what I have to offer. Then you don't get access to my community and my skills and the content that I create. And that's worth something. And defining that to yourself Is the first place to start and then being able to negotiate with brands and and being able to share that value is the second place to start because if you're not confident you don't think you're deserving because of whatever pressure you feel from the outside or what other people say or they make a joke of your job you do have value and especially if you're good at creating content it's huge for brands so i think it's believing that that is the hardest part and it did take me a while to get there So another example, like one brand asked me like, oh, we'd love to pay you, but we're gonna do a trial post first. So we'll have you create a post, you'll post it. And then if it doesn't perform, then we're not gonna pay you. And I'm like, would you literally walk into a restaurant, ask them to like cook you a meal. And if you didn't love it, you wouldn't pay for it. Like things don't work like that. So it's just important to know your value and to, you can say, no, I'm sorry, that's not gonna be a good fit for me this is my full time job. And I'm working like being compensated for my time and efforts is really important to me. It's hard to get there. I I completely get it. But it's really important for you to believe in the value that you have. Because if you don't believe in the value that you have, then it's going to be very unlikely that people are going to pay you for it.
0: I want to talk a little bit about rates. That is a question I get all the time. People just DM me and be like, so how much can you charge for an Instagram post? And obviously there are so many factors involved like your engagement rate and how many followers you have but let's just say based on followers is there like a guideline you follow for like let's say you have 5,000 to 10,000 followers let's say you have 10 to 20,000 is there like a formula that you follow for that
1: I'd say the best formula is other people who are at the same phase as you so I always talk to people who are very similar to me and are, are kind of offering similar things about what they charge. And I align myself with them a lot. I also work with a manager now, and she is excellent at knowing what my value is and articulating that to my partners. She only works with me on about half of my partnerships just because I'm newer with her. But connecting with your people like you and talking to others and seeing what they charge is really helpful. I don't necessarily believe like 10,000 followers, a hundred dollars because I don't have 50,000 followers and I charge way more than $500. So you have to just know that what you have to offer is really important. and That's what your media kit comes in. I say, this is how many people normally see this. This is how many people engage with it. This is how many people swiped up the last time I shared this. So it's knowing that it's not all about followers, but it's about how much your community trusts you and how much you give back to them in the long run. Like I put so much effort into connecting with my community and being there for them and being a resource for them, whether or not I'm getting paid for what I'm sharing or not. It's knowing that I have their interest in mind because they're the reason I'm here. And like answering every DM, answering every comment as best as I can and really connecting with people is a huge priority for me. I think that's a really
0: good point.
1: I never see myself as above that.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like you have to stay humble in this and realize that your community is such a huge contribution to why you're at where you're at and to never feel like you're better than your community or there's a point where you're, you're too good to be responding to people's DMs because that's how you stay connected to people. And even for me, if someone just messages me an emoji to my picture, I'll be like, thanks just to let them know that like, I heard them, I'm here, I'm I'm really grateful that they're responding to my content. So I think that's yeah. really important that you mentioned that.
1: In the same vein though, I'm trying hard to put, put up a little bit more boundaries. Like sometimes I'm too fast to respond and I can get really locked into my DMs because I feel like I want to answer everyone fully and show up fully for everybody in my community because I'm so grateful that I have this community, but sometimes it can be draining. So like lately I've been turning off social media at like 8.30 every night. If I go to bed at like 10, 30, that gives me time to like disconnect from everyone else that needs something from me and give to myself. So that's actually something I've learned in this quarantine time, because normally I'm just like, go, go, go all the time and doing a million things. And I am still doing a million things, but I'm doing it in one place. So it's easier to stop. It's easier to have the time to connect back to myself and disconnect.
0: Definitely. And I know for me staring at a screen all day and being on and you know Instagram isn't just leisure it's your business so setting creating that boundary is so important and for anyone who works from home creating boundaries for yourself is super important I want to talk about your work from home tips because obviously everyone's working from home right now during quarantine but you're someone who works from home every single day what are your top working from home tips?
1: So I actually, since moving to Chicago and living here, I've always been a coffee shop girl. Even when I started and had like was making no money, if I was working, I was usually doing it at a coffee shop. The only way place that I was not is if I was doing stuff in the kitchen. And I would try to batch my recipe days so that I could leave because just getting dressed and leaving and doing something was a huge productivity thing for me. And even living here, I was a member of WeWork for a very long time, and I went there like four days a week and I had like other blogger friends who also worked from WeWork and it was just a great, I felt like I was going like a real job and it was so fun and I really missed that. So working from home has been a challenge for me actually, although I'm used to the flexibility and being in charge of my schedule and what I do when besides like, you know, calls or whatever that I have, it has been a challenge. So I'm like a big list person. So starting with a priority list is really important like, what are the five things I have to do today? And then what will be like nice to have that really helps me get in a good flow. And then put things in my calendar. So if I'm like, I'm shooting, I'm shooting from like nine to 11. And then I try my best to actually shoot from nine to 11. And then I'll batch my emails and my DMs, then I'll go back to it. So I don't have trouble with motivation. I there are days where I'm like, Oh, I can't do this. But sometimes, Feeling like I'm breaking up my day is really hard. So that's why I have like the boundaries at night and sticking to my morning routine and going for walks and stuff. Taking breaks is really important because for some people working from home means like working straight and never getting up because they don't have anything to interrupt them. So creating those things to interrupt you and creating that separation, I think is just also good for like brain power. And then knowing like if at three o'clock I'm just like not feeling it and there's nothing I have to do, I'll just stop for the day.
0: Yeah. And you're an early riser. So you get, you get started on everything pretty early. Can you talk about your morning routine?
1: Yeah. So I love early mornings. I wake up at like five 36 every day, even at this time. And I usually have like an hour or two, like nothing makes me happier than like a quiet cup of coffee on my couch and looking at the skyline. I'll have a huge glass of water, brew my coffee. And in that time I do my meditation And I try to meditate before I check DMs because I like when I log on in the morning, I have like 45 DMs or like a bunch of emails and some of them are from the night before, like shutting off at 830. So lately, if I see it in the morning, it's more than normal. But ignoring that and doing my meditation first is really important for me. And I do literally three to five minutes. I'm not super like 20. I can't do 20 minutes, maybe one day. Well, but I just do a small grounding exercise using a guidance app. Um, And there's so many different options. I love simple habit right now. I used headspace for a long time. So doing that five minute meditation and then giving myself a few minutes to enjoy my coffee. And then I actually get started with work. I'll write my caption for the day. I'll check my DMS. I'll post some stories. I'll check my emails I'm a big like schedule send email person, so I might write an email like 5 a.m., but I'll schedule it for like 9.23 or something, just because I don't want to set the precedent that I'm like on all the time, although I may be giving myself away a little bit right now. (laughs) So that's my morning routine. I have a small, that small amount of ritual in the morning that's just water, meditation, coffee, supplements, relax, and then get started.
0: And for everyone who's wondering, what do you eat in the day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? and snacks. Can't forget about snacks.
1: <laughs> it changes a lot, but I'd say the most average. So I wake up and I have water and coffee, and then I'll usually work out around like 7, 7.15 for like 45 minutes. There's like a bunch of cool workouts I've been doing. And then I shower, get ready, do a little bit more work. I usually don't eat breakfast till like 9.30, even though I wake up at six. I don't get hungry. I don't intentionally intermittent fast. Like I'm not, I don't set out to do anything like that. I just listen to my body. If I woke up starving, I would have breakfast at six. So I usually have like a smoothie or a yogurt bowl or an oatmeal bowl or avocado toast, something like breakfast is always substantial. And then lunch is either like leftovers from dinner or a big salad or an avocado toast or sometimes it's like, I'll scramble up some eggs with like hot sauce and leftover veggies for the night before. I just try to keep it actually quicker now than other than when I'm like on the go because when I'm on the go, I usually pick up a salad from like Freshie or Sweetgreen or somewhere like that. And then for dinner, I like to make stir fries or pastas or soups or pizza night or burgers. Like also keeping it pretty simple. I don't like to cook for like two hours. I like to cook for like no longer than an hour. And then for snacking in between, and I really love like salty stuff. So I love like chips and crackers and hummus and cut up veggies and hummus. I love bars. So really love those like pumpkin seed bars from Health Warrior. They're like really crunchy and salty and delicious. Really into the banana plantain chips. I eat those literally every day. I'm gonna have a bowl after this. I like to snack on whatever I've baked cause I do bake a lot. So I'll have like banana bread or like a muffin or a blondie. Or I'll save that for dessert. I do have dessert every day, either after lunch or after dinner, just depending on when I'm feeling like it. But I never hold myself back from like enjoying sweets because otherwise the craving just gets way too crazy. And I just enjoy enjoy it. So it's part of my balanced diet.
0: I'm with you. Even after like lunch, after dinner, I just want, even if it's like a square of dark chocolate, it just caps off your meal.
1: Totally. And some days I won't because I just like didn't think about it. But like yesterday after dinner, I had like three of those unreal uh, snacks, like peanut butter cups, and they're so cute and they're so
0: good. So they're actually vegan. I love them. If I go to the movies, I'm bringing the unreal M&Ms. Those are so good.
1: Oh, yeah. I have the chocolate covered peanuts. They're really good.
0: So good. Okay, I have some fun questions for you to kind of cap off the podcast. These are questions that I'm asking everyone. Okay. Okay. So the first one is, what would your last meal on earth be?
1: Oh, my God. I don't... I think it would be, like, just, like, the best bowl of pasta, like, the freshest pasta and, like, burrata. Simple. I love burrata cheese. Something, like, really rich and delicious from, like, an amazing Italian restaurant. By the
0: way, I love how you say pasta. It's so cute. I know.
1: The Canadian way. Pasta. Pasta.
0: Pasta. Does everyone give you a hard time (laughs) about that?
1: Yeah. Pasta, like, cottage. Sorry. Although i I've I'm living in the States for like four years. I now say like sorry sometimes, but I'm like, I feel unnatural. It feels wrong. It.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Number two, what's one thing you can't live without in your morning routine? Coffee. But not just any
1: coffee. It has to be like really good pour over coffee. This is going to sound like really snotty, but I don't like Starbucks, even though it's like expensive. It's not about the price. I just don't like the coffee. So like I will only have Starbucks. If I'm like at an airport and there's nothing else,
0: (laughs) I like to make my own coffee. Yeah, it's okay to be a coffee snob. There are things that like, like you're entitled. What is something quirky about you that people would be surprised to find out?
1: I don't know. I have dance parties by my, well, I guess I show that, but I have dance parties daily on the, by myself, not just in quarantine, like. When I'm cooking, like, I'm blasting tunes and dancing.
0: I love that. So
1: (laughs) I guess that's something a little quirky.
0: If you had to pick one form of exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Mm, That's really hard. I would pick, like, a sculpt bar type of workout or just, like, walking and hiking. But if it was, like, one type of, like, specific exercise, I would do, like, a bar or a sculpt type workout.
0: Yeah, mine is for sure walking. I love walking, so that's that's a legit answer. Yeah, but bar is fun too. Okay, lastly, what is your favorite grocery store?
1: I love Trader Joe's, but I also love Whole Foods and Fresh Time. And ugh, I, I, I can't answer that question, but Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, that's a hard one.
0: <laughs> I feel you. I live directly across from Trader Joe's. Like I stare at it from my balcony, so I'm there when coronavirus isn't going on i'm literally there four times a day so it's been hard for me because i've had to you know i don't want to be going there a ton so i miss trader joe's
1: <laughs> i know i i've been ordering instacart recently just because every time i walk to trader joe's it's the light i'll only go if like the not a long line because the line just kind of stresses me out even though it goes fast so i'll try to go in like a really off time but I do miss it. I do need to get a restock of a lot of stuff from Trader Joe's.
0: I know. And I don't know about you, but I'll be making a recipe and I'll need one thing. And it's like, oh, every day, it's not worth it to go and stand in the line, especially here in Florida. It's like very humid. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited for when I can go back.
1: I know. I hear you. Often if I need one thing, I'll just walk to like Whole Foods because it's closer and it's usually not as long
0: of a line. Yeah, our Whole Foods here, there's no line at all. I have one more thing. This is called sure. Would You Rather Foodie Edition. It's just like rapid fire. I don't know if you've seen it, obviously, on Instagram, like the this or that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Peanut butter or almond butter? Peanut butter. Pasta or pizza?
1: Pasta. Pasta.
0: Pasta. <laughs> Ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. Spinach or kale? Spinach. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Smoothie or avocado toast? Oh
1: my God. Smoothie. No, I don't know. (laughs) I can't answer that
0: one. I like them both. Okay, both. Hard packed ice cream or soft serve?
1: The first one. I didn't fully hear what you said, but I like regular ice cream better than soft serve. Oh,
0: like like hard packed ice cream, like scooped ice cream. Oh,
1: scoop ice cream for sure.
0: Okay, brown rice or white rice?
1: Uh, I like white rice better.
0: Black beans or chickpeas? Chickpeas. Pesto or marinara sauce?
1: Marinara sauce.
0: And that's it. That's that's Would You Rather Foodie Edition. I love it.
1: I, I do really like pesto. Oh,
0: pesto so good.
1: The Trader Joe's kale pesto is really good.
0: Honestly, for a lot of those, I ask people the questions. But for most of them, I, I like both of them.
1: I know those are the smoothie or avocado toast one. That's a hard one.
0: That's a hard one. That's like it depends <laughs> on your mood.
1: It depends on the time of year, too, because it's cold. I do eat, drink smoothies all year round. But when it's like really cold, it's hard.
0: For sure. Well, Sari I could talk to you all day I feel like we have so much in common it was so nice to finally like talk to you face to face and get to know you where can everyone find you so
1: you can find all of my recipes on eatwellwithsari.com and you can find me most active on Instagram so at eatwellwithsari
0: perfect thank you so much Sari
1: thank you for having me this was so fun
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.